The WBEN All Local. All Local. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mesrowski. The Bills attempt at a comeback falls short. Touchdown, Buffalo! Josh Allen powers in from six inches out. And for the first time in this game, the Bills have the lead. There's the snap. Back to pass. Looking for Gasicki. He beats Taron Johnson for the touchdown with 12 seconds remaining. Gasicki was the biggest target on their roster, and he got in a mismatch with Buffalo's nickel corner, who stands 5'10". Buffalo loses 29-25 to to the New England Patriots. The Bills falling to 4-3 and on the year. Sean McDermott on what's not working on the offensive side of the ball. I think it starts, Joe, with staying on schedule. Winning first down so you can stay on schedule, so you can move the chains. You know, you look at their offense, they, they did that today. They, they won first down, they stayed on schedule, they stayed out of third and long for the most part during the day and, and then you can when you do that you're playing two dimensionally on, on offense. That's where when it gets to be hard to call a game against two dimensional offense when you're on schedule winning first downs or skipping third downs or even putting putting us into a third down and short to medium at most. Too many off schedule situations. Josh Allen after the game. Well I wish I knew the exact answer because we'd we'd have it fixed by now. So I'm gonna watch this film and, and find a way to, to get there. Whatever it is. You know, our season's not over. It's a long season. You know, it feels pretty bleak right now, but you know, we're we're gonna figure it out. Well it's a short turnaround for the Bills. Not too much time to figure it out before their next game Thursday nights when the Bills host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Thursday at the stadium in Orchard Park. Josh Allen said Feels pretty uh, pretty bleak right now, but we're going to figure it out. That's our web poll question at WBEN.com. Are you on board with Josh Allen's assessment, yes or no, right now? 38% have said yes, 62% no. You'll find the poll on the right side of our page at WBEN.com. Well, we're learning more about Friday's crash on the 290 that involved a school bus, a pickup truck, trying to merge into traffic, ended up swerving causing the bus to roll over into a ditch. Five children and the driver buckled into their seats. A bus aide went out a window, was found underneath the bus. About a dozen Good Samaritans pulled over to help lift the bus and get the aide out from underneath. All five children released from Oshai Children's Hospital over the weekend. The bus aide remains hospitalized with serious injuries at ECMC. That scary crash scene bringing up the question if seatbelts should be worn on buses. WBEN's Brayton Wilson is here with more. While school buses across New York State are required to be equipped with seatbelts, there's no requirement, expectation, or mandate for students to be wearing seatbelts on your regular school bus. But how many students tend to wear seatbelts going to and from school on a regular basis? Despite being encouraged to wear seatbelts on the bus, some school administrators admit those numbers are quite low. Not 100% certain on that, but I would think that it's probably not as common on a 65-passenger bus for students to be seatbelted. That's Dr. Brian Graham, superintendent of Grand Island Central School District. He says it remains a local district's decision at this time with the director of transportation and administration working with the school board to determine on whether or not students wearing a seatbelt on the bus is something that is required. With school bus drivers already having enough on their plate on a daily basis, perhaps a solution to ensure more students are wearing seatbelts may be to have more bus aides on hand to assist. However, that may not be as easy as it seems in theory. There's a lot of factors, of course, that go into adding personnel to any entity, whether it's classrooms or buses. So it's 
certainly is a local decision for people to contemplate. If you have a bus fleet of 55 buses, obviously a tremendous impact for the taxpayers to add 55 bus attendants. So is there a possibility that one day New York State lawmakers could sign a bill into law that requires students to wear seat belts on all buses across the state? Niagara Falls City Schools Superintendent Mark Laurie feels that can absolutely be the next generation of what's going to happen with school buses. We've seen, unfortunately, too many crashes, too many tragedies happening. And just like with automobiles, I think it's certainly wise to take every precaution that's easy, unobtrusive, and keeps kids and people safe. So that seems like the next natural progression. And when you're dealing with kids, I think there's no cost or uh, safety measure that is too much for you to take. Brayton Wilson. WBEN.com News. All right, Brayton, thank you. And, uh, of course, we'll bring you all the latest information on that crash as we learn it here. 5.07 now on WBEN. After Congressman Jim Jordan failed to rally his fellow GOP members to elect him as Speaker of the House, we're told nine Republicans now vying for the gavel. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney was a guest yesterday on Hardline with Joe Beamer. I don't think Kevin McCarthy deserved Uh, to be removed in the way he was, but he decided not to run again, and he couldn't get the votes. Steve Scalise couldn't get the votes, and now Jim Jordan. So we have to find a consensus candidate, and I think that we need to focus on the strength of the other members that we have uh, who are bringing the agenda forward. Well, the nine Republicans, uh, there will be a closed-door forum tonight, secret ballot vote Tuesday morning before a floor vote to see if they can sort it out. Day 17 of the Israel-Hamas war, Matt Gutman in Tel Aviv on the spark for weekend protests in the city. We saw these protests in which family members of hostages, but also rank-and-file Israelis have come out and said, listen, you've got to deal with the hostages first, then you can go to war, but save these people. They're in there. If you start this massive ground incursion into the Gaza Strip, there's a significant chance that these people won't survive. And the reason for that is because U.S. senior officials tell us that a lot of these hostages are being held in Hamas's tunnels. Well, as Israel carries out strikes to root out Hamas in those tunnels and elsewhere, The ground campaign looms, and the threat of an expanding war has prompted the Pentagon to beef up its posture in the Middle East. Evan Lambert with the latest. On Saturday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower aircraft carrier, a cruiser and destroyers, would be sent to the Persian Gulf in response to, quote, recent escalations by Iran and its proxy forces in the Middle East. Austin also sent additional air defense systems and put more troops on standby if they're required to quickly respond to the region. Sunday, President Biden spoke with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about aid, which the two leaders agreed will continue to flow into Gaza. When will we start seeing the impact of the Middle East war here? WBEN's Max Ferry has the latest. With war waging on in Israel, the price of oil has gone up. Well, oil prices have perked up over the last couple of weeks uh, because of primarily the situation in Israel. Uh, but they haven't gone up a whole lot. Uh, oil prices uh, at about $89 a barrel. Patrick DeHaan, petroleum analyst at Gas Buddy. However, the price of gas in western New York and nationally continued to decline slightly due to several factors. A lot of the decrease happening across not only Buffalo but all the rest of the nation is due to the fact that the downward pressure on gasoline is so far blunted 
the impact of the rise in the price of oil, the drop in gasoline demand as we get into cooler weather, and the switch over to winter gasoline, which happened several weeks ago, is still delivering some relief. And so for now, at least maybe the next week or so, I think gas prices will continue to trend lower. Dahan highlights a potential development in Israel that could impact gas and oil prices. But the real situation is if Iran, which has supported Hamas, uh, enters the situation or escalates the situation. That certainly could be much more problematic as Iran is a larger oil producer. And, and so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But for now, the impacts have been extremely limited. Although gas prices continue to slightly decline, diesel prices have gone up. You can hear the full analysis at WBEN.com. Max Ferry. WBEN.com News. All right, Max, thank you. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast. Mostly sunny skies today. Temperatures in the low 50s this afternoon. Now, tonight, partly to mostly cloudy. Overnight lows near 40. On Tuesday morning, clouds going to sunshine. Highs near 70 degrees. Mostly cloudy. Low 70s on Wednesday. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us on the line, political analyst Steve Roberts with a look at what's going on in Washington. And Steve, what is going on in Washington? where they're going to give it another try. Uh, search for a House speaker continues as more Republicans will now, uh, behind closed doors, make their case in front of the others. At least nine is what we're hearing are in the vying for House speaker. Let's first start off with last week. Where did it go wrong for Jim Jordan? Well, Jim Jordan, let's uh, remind you, listeners, our listeners, is that one of the hardest of the hardline Republicans, he was the founder of the Freedom Caucus, he was one of the chief co-conspirators in denying the election results. He went around the country trying to stir up legis legislators to uh, change the uh, results. He was a favorite of Donald Trump, who endorsed him strongly. And he was blocked because about 25 uh, Republicans, some of them uh, pragmatic uh, uh, members of the Appropriations Committee, some of them uh, coming from swing districts who were worried about the uh, optics. But then they had, so he was blocked by these 25 because, you know, the same tactics that uh, removed McCarthy were now used against um, Trump's candidate because uh, there's a major margin of only four or five votes. Um, and therefore you need almost nearly unanimous to, to win the speakership. But here's the other interesting thing. When they took a, a secret vote, to decide whether Jordan should continue as their speaker designate, their speaker nominee, 112 Republicans voted against him. Think about that. Only 25 had the guts to oppose Donald Trump's favorite publicly. But when they got a chance to oppose him privately, 112 voted against him. That's very revealing because it shows that there's a much bigger split in the Republican Party over Trump and Trumpism than you see in public because people were afraid to defy Trump uh, in any kind of public way, but they're not afraid to vote against him if it's secret. How does this dysfunction, Steve, compare with previous dysfunction in Congress? It's worse for, for two reasons, and it's sort of a confluence, Susan, of, of, of accident and history. The accident is that Republican margin in the House is only five votes. That means a handful of people can control the outcome. Kevin McCarthy was deposed and only eight Republicans out of more than 200 voted against him. So that's an accident of history that the margin is so narrow. But what's not an accident is this much longer um, uh, term trend um, where the uh, 
House of Representatives is so much more polarized. Very few members of, I'd say before the election begins, close to 400 out of the 435 members are in safe districts. There are very few swing districts anymore. That's partly because legislators, legislatures have changed the lines to protect their own party. It's partly because of something called the big sort by political scientists where people have moved um, to areas uh, where the uh, prevailing political mood is more congenial to them, Democrats to urban areas, Republicans to the exurbs. Um, and uh, you, then you add in the advent of uh, partisan media, which um, uh, makes it much easier for people to simply um, uh, absorb political information that reinforces their prejudices and emotions. So there's been a long, uh, many trends that come together, um, but they, uh, what makes them even more powerful is because Republican margin is so small. That means a handful of people uh, can block anybody else. You know, you're painting a picture where we're all kind of all in our own little world. That's kind of what I was thinking last week when you heard about the voting process and, you know, why some people might not have voted for whatever. And uh, we were talking, uh, I'm not sure when it was last week, about, you know, people who would be reluctant. Uh, maybe it was with you. It was probably with a whole bunch of different people, Steve. Um, uh, Republicans who were in districts that Joe Biden won would be reluctant to vote for Jim Jordan because then their constituents might look at that vote and say, well, maybe this isn't the person you want. And I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, you know, Steve, who in the history of the voting machine in the United States of America has ever cared or known who their representative voted for for Speaker of the House? Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? No, people can barely tell you who their representative is. Like, and they think that's going to make the difference? Are they in their own little world? Yeah, I, I, that's a fair point. Um, and I think in isolation, it's not a particularly powerful political issue, but I think it connects to a much broader issue. Uh, and that is the advent of, of Trumpism and, um, and the larger idea of, of, uh, of politics. And, and, you know, historically, one of the most basic adages about politics is that it's about addition, not subtraction. You try to expand your base, you form coalitions. That's the nature of American politics when you have two national parties. Donald Trump, in some ways, has done exactly the opposite. His approach to politics is to focus on his base, get as many uh, dollars and as many votes out of the base as possible. Um, he's driving people away. I mean, look at what's. Uh, let me let, let let me point out exactly what's happening right now. Probably of the nine who are all anonymous to most Americans, but of those nine. The leading candidate is a man named Tom Emmer. He's from Minnesota. He's the number three man in the House at the moment. As I say, no one knows who he is. But he's conservative. He's very conservative. But he's not a, a true blue Trumpian. And Donald Trump has mounted a campaign against him using um, conservative radio hosts, using Fox News, using all of his uh, social media, because um, here's this guy, a very conservative Republican from Minnesota, 
But uh, Trump denounces him as a rhino, a Republican in name only, because he's not 110 percent red hat, red meat, MAGA conservative. That's crazy from a political point of view, because you need people like Emmer and you need people who vote for Emmer to win a national majority. And this is one of the so. You know, voting for speaker, you're absolutely right. People are not going to remember that one vote, but they are going to remember this larger idea uh, of, of where do I sit in the Republican Party? And if it's a Republican Party that's dominated by someone who demands total loyalty and, and, and rejects the most pragmatic or, or more uh, practical minded Republicans, this is what's got Republican strategists crazy because um, – in the primaries, the most energetic and hardcore and highly motivated Trumpians are going to vote. And therefore, for all the talk about Nikki Haley surging, and the fact is that Trump's hold on the nomination is pretty damn secure. But he doesn't have a majority. And that's why Republicans look at Trump and say he, his whole approach to politics is flawed. Donald Trump ran twice for president and never broke 47% either time. He's never broken 50% in a single national poll in his entire time in politics. So smart Republicans look at him and say, this might work in conservative House districts. This might work in conservative states. It doesn't work nationally. It really quickly, how optimistic are you that one of these nine Republicans will advance? I'm not optimistic at all because I think they, they're so fragmented and they're so angry and, and, and there's so many rivalries and there's so many cross-hatchings. I think by the end of the week, if they don't come up with a nominee, one of two things could happen. Either um, there's this move to empower there, – there is a temporary speaker with very little power – this man, uh, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, one move could be to just give him enough power so that at least he moves legislation through the House. You've got to remember, we're dealing with a moment of high national crisis. You've got wars in, in two places where uh, uh, important American allies, Ukraine and Israel, need American help. And you've got the government about to run out of money in two more weeks. The country cannot afford any more of this paralysis. So if by the end of the week the Republicans don't pick somebody, I think there'll be a strong move either to empower McHenry or even have some of the more pragmatic Republicans work with Democrats to elect a speaker. But we're not there yet. It's going to take another week of chaos. Interesting. Hey, Steve, thanks so much. Steve Roberts joining sure. us live this morning with a look at what's happening in Washington. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning, produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.